0: It's a huge blessing to get to worship the Lord from the heart, uh, even before we come together around the Word, because of all the Scripture-filled truths that we sing together and that are sung to us. So thank you. Thank you, choir um, musicians, um, for your ministry to us and with us this morning. We are back in John chapter 6, the 12 disciples have just taken part in the experience of a lifetime. No one could ever forget it. They had watched the Lord Jesus turn a boy's lunch into more than enough food for fifteen to 20,000 people with 12 basketfuls of food left over. They were right in the middle of it because they got to distribute the food to the crowd and collect what was left over. The miracle was so astonishing that the crowd wanted to make Jesus king right then and there. It was exactly the kind of public success that the disciples knew that the Lord deserved. Finally, finally He was about to step up to His role as the promised Messiah of Israel. But Jesus derailed the coronation by withdrawing and sending the crowd home. He compelled His disciples to take off from the scene in their boat, likely because they were vulnerable to the intoxicating fervor of this public popularity. Jesus left the scene, and they were on their own, almost as if the whole thing had been a dream. But He was still training them, even in His absence, because the gospel ministry is not just the highs. It has plenty of lows. It's not just the celebrations. It has dangers, too. So we read in John chapter 6, beginning in verse 16, these words, When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because of a strong wind was blowing. And when they saw, excuse me, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Well, John's account of this event is brief. By the time that he's writing his gospel, believers already have had the gospel records of Matthew and Mark for some time. So many of his readers were already familiar with Jesus walking on the water and how he rescued his disciples from the powerful nighttime storm at sea. So what John marks out here, though, reminds us of what we would find in Matthew and in Mark, but also highlights for us some commonalities about this trial on this particular night and quite frankly about the trials that we face in our own storms, and our own threats of darkness. So in verses 16 through 19, John talks about fear, the common threats that would cause us fear, verses 16 to 19. And then in verse 20, really our reason for courage, and that is divine presence, Jesus' own presence with us. And then finally, in verse 21, relief because of supernatural deliverance. We're going to look at these uh, brief verses with this huge message for us along these three heads, fear, courage, and relief. First, consider with me fear, the common threats. And let's read this passage, 16 through 19, once again, just to remind us of the elements that went together to cause such fear on this night. When evening came, His disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, and coming near the boat and they were frightened so to get to capernaum which was pretty much jesus base of operations in galilee the disciples are planning to sail from east to west along the northern coastline of the sea of galilee you may recall from last week that where the feeding of the 5000 happened was on the east side of the lake And was in a less populated region, so they worked down to the sea, and now they're going to skirt that northern coastline to get over to Capernaum. Darkness is setting in as they begin their nighttime voyage, and several of them are fishermen. It was less than a five-mile journey. They had to go along the shore, so this shouldn't have been a big problem. In fact, the next day, people were going to go back and forth across the sea uh, in a matter of hours with no problem at all. But as they got started, a violent storm suddenly came down on the lake. Mountains along the shoreline rise to about 2,000 feet above sea level, and the lake itself lies 700 feet below sea level. So, you're talking about almost a 3,000-foot difference, and as cooler air rushes down those slopes nearly 3,000 feet, he can turn the lake into a very dangerous place to be, and it commonly happens. The strong wind blew them away from the shore some three or four miles, and they're no longer skirting the, the, the shore in a more of a safe voyage. Now they're blown out to the middle of the sea. They manned the oars to fight against the waves and the wind, but it was no use. According to Matthew 14 and Mark 6, it was not until the fourth watch of the night that Jesus came walking on the water toward them. That means it was between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., and they had started somewhere between 6 a.m. and 9 a.m., I mean 6 p.m. and 9 p.m. So that means they had been straining at the oars, fighting for their lives for roughly nine hours, give or take. Think about that. Think about typical workday of eight hours, being at storm the entire workday, straining at the oars, making no progress whatsoever, Um, They were wet, they're worried, they're beyond exhausted. And then they see what appears to be a phantom. According to Matthew 14 and Mark 6, they thought they were seeing a ghost, a phantom coming toward them on the sea, a messenger of their impending death, their soon destiny to be swallowed up by the raging waters. And that was the final straw. So think about the common causes for fear that are brought together in this particular event. First, they, they were forced to leave what, what seemed like overwhelming success. We all, I like winning better than losing, every time, okay? I, I like the celebration. I, we love victories. And they were forced to leave a scene of victory. And so you have this sort of letdown, a disappointment, even disillusionment, the psychological letdown that the whole scene starts with. And then there's darkness and rough sea and strong wind, all of these natural dangers. You know, we're kind of sealed away from natural dangers in much of our living. We have a very soft lifestyle, but those of you that are familiar with the outdoors that maybe do some distance hiking or running or, or uh, out in the woods or out on the sea know that nature can be unforgiving and very dangerous So you have the natural dangers. And then all this led to hours of intense physical output, mounting frustration and resulting fatigue that brought them near the breaking point. And And there we have sound effects. It's not just for kids. Um, Y'all can fix whatever that is. Um, And I'll stick here if I need to. so. So you have physical and mental exhaustion going on. So you have the psychological letdown, you have the natural dangers, and then the physical and mental exhaustion. And finally, on top of this alarming, frustrating, bone-weary condition comes a strange and ominous phenomenon that looks like the end of everything, a paranormal threat, really linked to the prospect of dying. Now, It's just, it's common for us to fight for life and to fear death. For one thing, human beings don't know what's on the other side. They've never experienced that. And so there's all kinds of of fears that can come with that. And then even if you don't fear death, most people do fear dying because they don't know what that's going to actually be like and how painful it might be. And so you have this mixture of spiritual and the unknown, and death itself. You put all this together, and they're in a condition um, of really paralyzing fear. They're grown men, accustomed to the threats of being on the water, but they are genuinely afraid. And ironically, if you back up and look at this, they are where they are precisely because they have obeyed what Jesus told them to do. Sometimes we think this. We think, okay, you know, the key to life is just to obey Jesus. And if I'm obedient, in fact, sometimes you'll hear preachers say that, just be obedient and life is going to be great. Is it? Obedience doesn't ensure an easy life, because you're still living in a sin-cursed world with all kinds of problems. And so, obedience is better than disobedience, but the reality is that the difficulties are still there. And then you add to that, you know, they're doing exactly what Jesus told them to do, but he is not with them. And it looks like the great mountaintop experience that happened earlier is going to end in a watery grave. So let's just stop here and just think about these, these natural reasons and supernatural reasons for fear. What natural elements contribute to the fear that you experience? You know, just take a step back. And, and if you're experiencing fear and anxiety, what is it that is driving that? Some of those things are likely common things things that are common to humanity, things that are common to nature. And there could be a spiritual element as well. What spiritual elements are causing you fear? You might be wrestling with your standing with God. You might be fearful for what lies beyond the grave. You might have even had some kind of of spiritual experience that has has really scared the heebie-jeebies out of you. You're so nervous. You know, what does this mean? And what do these elements come from doing what you believe God wants you to do? And what come from what you know is disobedience to him? You know, if we know we've been disobedient, we we can reverse course on that. But if we know we're being obedient and we're still in this really difficult spot, then what do you do? Sometimes we get frustrated and disillusioned. No good deed goes unpunished. It's like, you know, no matter what I do, I just can't win. So you have all these common reasons for fear or frustration. Well, what then in the face of all of this, and, and really nearly everything we face would, would fall into these categories. In the face of all this, what would be a reason for courage? What would be a cure for fear? Because Jesus said to them in verse 20, It is I, do not be afraid literally stop being afraid. Now, given everything that, that is piled up against them here, how do you possibly do that? Like, it's easy to say, stop fearing. You know, have, has anyone ever said, well, you shouldn't feel that way? Okay, I shouldn't feel that way, but it's the way that I feel. Now, what do I do? Okay, so why why should this feeling of fear, how, how can that be cured? How can they stop fearing? They're still worn out. They're still far from shore. The wind is still blowing. The waves are still raging. And the terrifying figure walking toward them on the water, thankfully, turns out to be the greatest cure for fear, Jesus himself. The waves threatening to drown them Are the pavement for his feet. And the winds, according to Mark's gospel, ceased the moment that he stepped on board. Matthew records that Peter wanted to make sure it was Jesus, so he asked Jesus to command that he, Peter, walk on water to Jesus. It's one thing for Jesus to do it, but Peter to do it, but that's exactly what happened until Peter looked around and was fearful again and began to sink. And Jesus reached out and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Jesus gives a reason to stop being afraid with these words. It is I. The, the, and typically, I'm not going to quote Greek to you, okay? So I'm not getting into a, a Greek thing. But it's, it's ego me. and it's, the, it's a common enough statement, but it's also the way that the Greek language puts the words... I am. When we read these words, we're reminded of Yahweh's words to Moses. Tell them I am has sent you. I am that I am. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Throughout history, this has ever been God's response to human fear. Do not fear. I am with you. Deuteronomy six be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Or the famous Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, no calamity, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In other words, you can deal with whatever the threat is. Psalm 46, 1 through 3, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. In Psalm 118, 6, the Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? And the writer of Hebrews taps into this verse in Hebrews 13, and applies it to your worry or fear about whether you're going to have enough financially. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. This is a triple negative. So literally, I will never, ever, ever leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Isaiah 41.10 Our time of meditation after the choir's number. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And then Isaiah 43, 1 through 3. Now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine when you pass through the waters. I will be with you, and through the rivers they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And we immediately think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where the Son of God walks with them in the fiery furnace. And the flame shall not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. In the New Testament, as Paul met opposition In his ministry in Corinth, the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be silent. Don't be afraid. Go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Somehow we have to keep reminding ourselves of this truth, that we're not in this life alone. And whatever fearful things we face, the Lord is with us. One songwriter has put it this way, Oh, my soul, oh, how you worry, oh, how you're weary from fearing you lost control. This was the one thing you didn't see coming, and no one would blame you, though, if you cried in private, if you tried to hide it away, that so and no one knows, no one would see if you stop believing. Oh, my soul, you are not alone. There's a place where fear has to face the God you know. One more day, he will make a way. Let him show you how you can lay this down because you're not alone. How is it that the presence of Jesus with you, and he's called Emmanuel, God with us, makes such a difference? How can that make such a difference? Well, we know why it makes such a difference, and we learn it when we're kids. Remember the difference we felt as children on our dark, to use the cliche, on a dark and stormy night, at home or on a journey, if dad or mom was there with you. Whoever you feel is strong and wise, and who you know cares about you and can handle the situation makes it possible for you to sleep in the storm and be calm in the struggle and not fear a thing. And, and it's, it's the kind of thing where it's almost, it's not like you're willing yourself to stop fearing. It's that knowing that they're there creates the end of Fear. It, it just naturally does if you trust them and know them. So Jesus, the one who feeds thousands with a boy's lunch, the one who walks on water, who heals the sick and raises the dead, is the one who said, I am with you all the days, even to the consummation of the age that's what Jesus said. And if Jesus said it, you can count on it because Jesus doesn't lie. He's with you. You say, well, wait a minute. That's great. You know, that, that sounds wonderful in a Sunday morning service when we just heard the choir sing and, and you know, maybe in Sunday school class or something. But, but really, come Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or, or late Saturday night, I don't feel him close by. Well, neither did the disciples. Mark tells us in his account of this extraordinary night that Jesus, alone on the mountain praying while they battled the storm at sea, miles away, saw them through the darkness, wind-driven rain, and sea spray in all their troubles. He already knew what they were going through because his eyes were on them. He was already praying for them. He had chosen them, and he had a planned future for them, and even this trial was part of his training of them. In fact, they would spend the bulk of their lives spreading the gospel of Jesus without his physical presence. They needed to experience what his intercession is like and that it is enough. For that is what he is doing for his people to this day, according to the book of Hebrews, just as he did in the upper room the night he was betrayed, and just as he was doing on this stormy night. Jesus told him the night he was betrayed that he would not leave them orphans when he ascended, he would send the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, literally the one called alongside the God who is with us. Well, and then our account, Jesus came to them, demonstrating His absolute sovereignty over the very things that threatened to destroy them, the very circumstances that caused them such frustration, fatigue, and fear. So Jesus promised that He would be with us all the days, even to the end of the age. How does your perception of whether Jesus is with you or not, change the reliability of that promise. You know, sometimes our feelings run away with us, and we need to step back and say, wait a minute, okay, where's this coming from, and, and why is it there, and what's the solution, and let me think about the realities here. My perception is not reality, because I'm human, and I'm fallible. Jesus' promise is reality. Because he never lies. And he's completely reliable. So if Jesus is with you, what or who is more powerful than he is? So you may feel fearful. But is there a reason for fear? Fear when he is with you and will never let you go. And on the other hand, if Jesus is not your Savior and friend who sticks close to you, what is your strategy for dealing with threats bigger than you are? You may not be facing them now. And in fact, it, it generally is this. People get very smug and self-assured and self-reliant when they're not in the middle of the storms. They think they can handle life until life dishes out what they didn't expect and what they've never experienced before. It's coming if you haven't had it already. So third, we finally find relief. They were glad to take him into the boat, verse 21, and immediately the boat was at land to which they were going. Literally, then they wished to take him into the boat. So it's not so much focused on their joyfulness as it is on they were willing, they were happy to bring him into the boat. Knowing the person walking on the water was no phantom, but was Jesus, they wanted him on board with them. And it almost becomes emblematic of of the way the gospel is, will you bring Jesus into your boat? Or will you keep trying in vain to save yourself? I can guarantee you, and if you just look at human history and the history of any human being, I can guarantee you there's not enough in you you know, it's the, the general theme now is look inside yourself, find your, your, your reason to, to succeed inside yourself. I will guarantee you it is not enough because you're immortal and fallible and eventually you're going to end up in a grave and you're going to have a mounting number of things that you cannot handle in your own strength. That's just the way life is. You need Jesus in the boat. You need to be glad to welcome him into the boat. If you knew Jesus for who he is. If you knew Jesus for what he can do. Then you'd want him in the boat. Mark 6:51 to 52 says, and he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded. Or they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. So he's done this miraculous feeding of these thousands and thousands of people, and they hadn't, they hadn't connected that ability, that care, that That compassion, they hadn't connected it to their situation yet. And this is what happens with us. We say, well, yeah, I know God worked in this situation. I know God worked in Bible times. I know God worked in church history times. I know God worked in my grandfather's life or my father's life or my mom's life. I know God's worked in my life in the past, but I've never faced this before. That's where they were. They were still learning how immeasurable the power of Jesus is as God in human flesh. Jesus is not only the creator and sustainer that can feed thousands for the boy's lunch. He's also the Lord of wind and waves and space and time with the ability to give His followers supernatural power as well. Walking on water is the fifth miracle John records, but it's actually multiple miracles in one. First, Jesus walks on the water. Second, Peter walks on the water. Third, when Jesus got in the boat, the wind immediately stopped. And fourth, when he got into the boat, they were immediately at their destination. Matthew fourteen thirty three gives their response, and those in the boat worshipped him. They fell down on their knees and worshipped, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. And that is exactly the reason John includes this miracle in his gospel. In John 20, he explains, now Jesus did many other signs, remember those are miracles with a message, in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So it comes down to this. Who do you believe Jesus to be, and what do you think Jesus can do? If you take the testimony of the gospel writers, if you take the testimony of the apostles, if you take the testimony of the prophets, they talk about his coming, then you know Jesus can do everything that needs to happen. He has no limits on that. And you know Jesus has a heart of compassion to save you and to pour out his lifeblood to do it. So who do you believe Jesus to be and what do you think he can do? And then given who he is and what he can do, how does his presence with you change? Or maybe we should say it this way. How should it change how you view the troubles and dangers that you face? Because you do face troubles, and you do face dangers. The question is, do you have Jesus with you? Fear comes from common threats. Courage, divine presence, and relief is because of supernatural deliverance. This is the way the gospel Works. We live in a sin cursed world full of fearful threats, heading to the grave and then worse to judgment from God. And the only cure, our only hope, is Jesus. God with us. Trust Him. Not just intellectually, bring him into the boat. And all will be well. You will reach your destination, safe and sound. And it'll be forever. The cure for fear is Jesus. Let's pray. Dear God, This is a brief passage, but so powerful in what it teaches us and so connected to the lives that we're experiencing right now. We might be in a calm season, but we know the storms have been our way and will come again. And we know that we're all no matter how hard we try to stay healthy and how wise we try to be with everything, we know we're all heading to the grave. We're getting eventually weaker, and, and we fear things like bad health and dementia, and will we have enough to make ends meet, and uh, what will happen with my children and my grandchildren, and, and what's going to happen with our country, and so much that is out of our control, every bit as much as this storm was. God, put an end to our fear. Help us see Jesus making pavement from the stormy waves and causing the wind to cease and bringing calm to our hearts just as one day he will bring calm to the entire universe and will be set free from the bondage to corruption and death. God, give us courage. Help us rest in Jesus. Help us trust him. And I pray for those who have yet to do that. And I pray for those who have trusted Jesus and are trusting Jesus, but like Peter, are letting the winds and waves distract them from how safe they actually are, because he is with us. We pray these things in his name. Amen.